Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. This morning's passages come from Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is it easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw anything like this. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning with a deep gratitude, God, that you did die for our sins, And three days later, you rose from the dead. And God, I ask that that would not just be a a superficial, happy thing that we try to celebrate, God, but that would be a deep joy in our hearts. So God, please speak through your word. I ask that it would awaken life in our hearts, that it would stir up a desire in us for more of you that it would stir up our love for you and our love for one another. So we ask that you would be glorified through the proclamation of your word this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 2. And as always, uh, if you forgot your Bible or don't have a Bible with you, we always do try to have Bibles out in the lobby. You can grab one on the way in, as well as we will have the passages up on the screen as well for you to look at and follow along with us. Well, this morning is Easter or Resurrection Sunday. And really, every Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus But Easter Sunday is a special day where we try to be very intentional in celebrating the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. 
And I was debating this morning on whether or not to just continue preaching through the book of Mark like we've been doing, just kind of going verse by verse through the book of Mark, or I was debating on whether or not to step out of Mark and have a topical sermon just on the resurrection. And so as I was prayerfully considering these two options, I decided to make my decision like one does when you're presented with two good desserts that you can't pick between the two. If you guys are like me, if you've got the option of two great desserts, I usually will just say, I'll have a little bit of both, okay? I'll have both. Now, that's just that's a free life lesson for you right off the start, all right? That one is free, okay? You can't, if you can't choose between two great desserts, you have a little bit of both, okay? And so that's what we are doing this morning. We are both going to continue through our study of Mark and pick it up where we left off last week in Mark chapter 2, but we are also going to tie in the resurrection as well this morning. And God providentially allowed us to be in this passage, which it really works well to tie in the resurrection to this passage, because in this passage, we are going to see Jesus heal a paralyzed man, we're going to see Jesus forgive his sins, and then we're going to see Jesus tell him to rise up and walk, and then we're going to tie in how we rise up because Jesus rose. Okay, so that's two great desserts there for you this morning, all right? Which is really what we need for a morning like this morning, okay? Because I don't know about you, but I feel like as a Christian, there's a lot of pressure on Easter morning, okay? And I'm not just talking about as a pastor who's preaching on Easter, but I'm talking like for all of us as Christians, there is this pressure on Easter morning to just be super hyped and happy about the resurrection, okay? It's like the pressure guys feel on Valentine's Day, like all of a sudden they gotta be the most romantic and suave dude there is, right? Or the pressure you feel on your birthday to just have the best, most selfish day ever, okay? Or the pressure you feel on Christmas where you just have to have all the feels, all the warm, fuzzy feelings, right? And so Easter, e Easter can be pressure for us Christians. We wake up, oh my goodness, it's Easter. I, I got to get excited. I got to get hyped, all right? And maybe some of you are there this morning. Maybe, maybe you did wake up excited about the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. Maybe the Spirit is stirring in you, plus the addition of those Cadbury eggs and peeps that you had for breakfast, okay? So maybe the combination of those, maybe you are really hyped and excited about Easter. And if that is you, do not let me stand in your way. You just go for it, okay? You ride that spiritual or sugar high as long as you can, okay? But if that's not you this morning, if that's not you this morning, that is okay as well. Let me take the pressure off of you a little bit this morning because yes, we have been raised to new life because Jesus rose, but we are still living in a world that is fractured by sin. We are still living in the fog of us trying to fight our own sin and we're still living in the tension of Jesus' kingdom that has broken into the world, but it is not yet fully realized. And so whether or not the hype or the happiness is there for you this morning, we can all together fight for joy knowing that Jesus is alive and that he has put to death death and we have been raised to new life because he rose. Amen? All right, you guys have a great day. It's all right. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to close there. Okay. 
Before we look at Mark 2, let me try to align our hearts and catch you up on where you need to be by kind of walking you through this past weekend, okay? So let's think a little bit about Good Friday, all right? Friday was Good Friday. Friday was a day we reflected on Jesus' death on a cross, the place where God's wrath and mercy collided. And church, for our hearts to be in a place that they need to be this morning, let me remind you of a few things that Jesus' death accomplished on Friday, okay? Jesus' death on the cross, it appeased the wrath of God and paid the penalty for our sins. Our disobedience, our rebellion, our cosmic treason against God was rightly and justly deserving of punishment by death. But Jesus willingly went to the cross on our behalf and took the punishment in our place. Jesus' death on a cross also took our sins away. Jesus on the cross took our sins upon himself, and in exchange, he now gives us his righteousness or his rightness with God. Our sins have been paid for, our sins have been forgiven, and our sins have been taken away. Jesus' death on a cross also rescued us from the power of sin. Not only did it pay the penalty for our sin, but it rescued us from the power of sin and the, the rule and reign of sin in our lives. Jesus' death on the cross also reconciled us to God. Our sin isolated us from God. Our sin broke the fellowship with God that we were created to have. But by Jesus' death on the cross, he has brought near those who were far off, and he has reconciled us into a right relationship with him and with one another. And so that was Friday. That was Jesus' death on the cross accomplished. And now we arrive this morning, and we celebrate that Jesus did not stay dead, but he rose. So here's a question for you to think about this morning. What separates Christianity from every other religion and faith? Well, one thing that makes our faith distinct is that the leaders and founders of all other religions are currently dead, but ours is alive. Jesus rose from the dead, and Jesus' historical bodily resurrection accomplished some glorious things as well. So in Jesus' resurrection, he proved that he was God. It proved that he was who he said he was. He wasn't just another teacher. He wasn't just another prophet. He wasn't just another a rabbi. The grave could not hold him, and when he walked out of the tomb, he proved that he truly was God in the flesh. Jesus' resurrection, it also affirmed that God's wrath had been appeased, that the sacrifice on the cross was sufficient when Jesus, arose, when Jesus rose, it affirmed that salvation had been accomplished, that it was paid in full. Jesus' resurrection, it also gives us great assurance because we have a living Savior. We don't have a dead teacher. We have a living Savior who even right now is interceding for us on our behalf. Jesus' resurrection is also a declaration that Jesus has defeated Satan's sin and death and has disarmed the rule and reign of darkness and has established the good rule and reign of the kingdom of God. And finally, Jesus' resurrection, it was the first of many to come. 
It was the first of many to come. One of the things we celebrate this morning is, yes, that Jesus rose from the dead, and that is a glorious thing that has accomplished so much. But church, we also celebrate that Jesus' resurrection was the first of many to come. And so church, when God saves you, when you put your faith and trust in Christ, you also are raised to life. Hear these words from Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 6. It says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. Here it is, verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Hear this from 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Jesus' resurrection was the first of many to come. When you are saved, when you are in Christ, you are positionally already seated with Christ, declared righteous in God's sight, and raised to life with him. And yet, while we know we are positionally already in Christ, we still live in this world. We're still fighting sin. And so positionally, yes, we have been raised to Christ, raised to new life, but now we're also on this journey called sanctification, where God is making us more and more like Jesus where our hearts and our intellects are being more and more awakened to the reality that we have been raised with Christ. And in this process, we start losing our taste for sin, and instead we start finding our ultimate joy and pleasure in Christ. And in this journey, God's words are continually becoming sweeter and sweeter to us. Our faith is continually becoming stronger and stronger. And our sin is continually being confessed and repented of and forgiven. And so, church, we celebrate today that Jesus' death was not the end. But instead, his resurrection was the beginning of him redeeming, renewing, and resurrecting the world he created. Because he rose, the church and creation will rise and be restored. We rise because he rose. All right, now you're ready for Mark. Look at Mark 2, verse 1. Mark 2, verse 1. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Okay, so Jesus is back in Capernaum, which is a city along the Sea of Galilee. He had just gone through other towns preaching to and healing people. He's now returned to Capernaum, and word got out that he's back in town. So here come the crowds. The crowds start flocking to him. They fill the house. It was probably standing room only, so much so that not even the door, there was even, not even room at the door. It was packed. And he was preaching the word to them. He was preaching the word to them. Now remember from last week that Jesus had moved on from Capernaum because the crowds were flocking to, them, to him, but he perceived that they didn't really want to hear his teaching. 
They really just wanted him to be a miracle worker. And so he was discerning that people were coming to him to get things out of him, but did not have an interest in trusting him or learning from him or repenting to him. And so he said last week that he had to move on to other towns because the reason that he came was to preach that the kingdom of God had drawn near and he came to preach to call people to repent and turn from sin and turn back and trust in God. So he's back in Capernaum, he's preaching the word and four men bring a paralytic man to him. Now we don't know much about this man. We don't know if he was born paralyzed. We don't know if he suffered an accident or an injury that caused him to be paralyzed. We don't know if he maybe contracted a disease or an infection or something that caused him to be paralyzed. But all we know is that he's paralyzed. He is a paralytic. Now think for a moment what it would be like to be paralyzed. Many of us can only imagine how difficult it would be to live life paralyzed. The word paralytic comes from the Greek word, literally means the disabling of the nerves. Disabling of the nerves. Typically when you are paralyzed, both your motor and your sensory nerves are disabled. Meaning you lose the function or the ability to move a certain body part like it should move. It also, typically when you're paralyzed, you've lost your sensory nerves. You've lost the ability to feel and sense things like you should. And so you're at risk of getting burned and hurt and injured because you can't feel pain when, when the body's trying to tell you that it's in pain. When you are paralyzed, your nerves are disabled. You lose the ability to function and move like you should function and move. You lose the ability to sense and feel like you should sense and feel. Church, before you were saved, you were disabled by sin. You were disabled by sin. Sin caused us to lose the ability to function like we were created to function. And sin caused us to lose the ability to feel and sense like we were created to feel and sense. Sin caused us to be numb to God. And sin caused us to lose the ability to walk with God like we were created to do. The Bible goes even a step further and says that we were dead in our sin. We were dead in our sin. In our sin, we were disabled from getting ourselves to God. In our sin, we were disabled from walking with God like we were created to do, like they did in the Garden of Eden. In our sin, we were disabled from enjoying God the way we were supposed to enjoy him. We were disabled from sensing and being aware of his presence like we were supposed to sense and be aware of his presence. In our sin, we were disabled from glorifying him in all that we do. We were disabled. We were dead in our sin. But then, church, what do we see happen when God speaks? When God speaks, life is awakened. He created everything from nothing by the power of his word. He commanded nothing to be something, and it obeyed. Try to get your mind around that, okay? He commanded nothing to be something, and it obeyed. When Jesus spoke, Lazarus walked out of a tomb. When Jesus spoke, the paralyzed man stood up and walked. 
And when his word, which we know the Bible, all of scripture is God breathed, when God's word is read or preached or sung, what happens? We who were paralyzed by sin, when we hear God's word proclaimed, we start to get some feeling back in our legs. We start to get a little bit more movement in our hands. Our eyes start seeing things they were blind to in the past. We start becoming a little bit more aware of God's presence in our lives. And when God speaks, it awakens life and revives our dead, disabled hearts. Psalm 19, 7 and 8 says this. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And so if you want life to flourish in your life, if you want life to flourish in your home, make sure God's, read, God's word rather is being read, is being proclaimed, is being celebrated. His words are life. And through the hearing of the word, we are raised to new life. You want to see new life awakened in the hearts of your kids? Read God's word. You want God to audibly speak to you or your family? Read God's word out loud. When Jesus speaks, the dead are raised. The paralyzed stand. Sinners are saved. And faith is awakened in our hearts. Romans 10, 17 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. We are raised because he rose, and we are raised when God speaks. Look back at Mark 2, verse 4. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, you have to admire the effort here, okay? I mean, in those times, most houses were one-story houses with flat rooftops that they used as, like, decks. They'd, they'd have meals up there. They'd entertain guests out there. Usually, there was a stairwell on the outside of the house that kind of led to the rooftop deck, okay? And so here are these men. They're trying to get their friend to Jesus. They can't get through the crowd, so they instead take him probably up the stairs, up to the rooftop, and then start cutting through the roof, which was likely made of some beams with sticks and reeds with mud and clay packed in, they cut through the roof and they make a mission impossible type effort to kind of lower their friend down in front of Jesus. You have to admire the effort on their, on their part. And Jesus sees their faith and he's pleased. He's pleased. He's not angry like you and I would have been if someone just cut a hole in our roof right? We don't even know if they offered to fix it, uh, but Jesus is not angry. He sees their faith. He acknowledges their faith, and he's pleased by their faith. 
Now, faith can be an overly spiritualized word that starts to lose meaning because we rarely use it outside of church. But to have faith is to actively trust. To have faith is to actively trust. These friends were actively trusting that it would be worth the effort to carry their friend, to get him up to the rooftop, to cut a hole in the roof, and to lower him down into the presence of Jesus. They were actively trusting. They were demonstrating their faith. And church, for us, to have faith in Christ means to actively trust, rely, and depend upon him alone for salvation. It is through faith that we are raised to new life. It is through faith that we're saved. Whether you've realized it or not, you've all had faith in something or someone. Even if you're not a spiritual person, even if you don't consider yourself religious, you've had faith in something or someone. We've all put our trust or our confidence in something or someone to be saved. Now, most of us, before we came to Christ, our faith was in or we trusted in doing good works, being a good person, doing enough good works to outweigh our bad works. Uh, That is what is going to save us. That is what our faith or our trust was in. Or maybe you have trusted or put your confidence in the fact that you believe God exists, like that mere acknowledgement that, yes, God exists. Uh, that, that mere just trust that someone is up there, right, controlling everything, maybe that is what you have been putting your faith in for your salvation. Or maybe you've put your confidence in, your faith in, the faith of your family. Like you were born into a Christian home, you grew up going to church, you went to Sunday school, you went to VBS, you know all the stories. Maybe that is what your faith and trust is in for salvation. Or maybe you've been actively trusting in a distorted view of God, like you've heard God is a God of love, so therefore he must save everyone, and so I'll just try to do my best, and I think I'm good. Church, when our paralyzed dead hearts are awakened to life, when God's words are proclaimed, it awakens in us a faith that is not just a faith in being a good person, That is not just a faith in going to church, but it is a faith that is actively trusting in Christ alone for salvation. True saving faith is an active trust that Jesus' life, death, and resurrection accomplished salvation on our behalf, and that because he rose, we are raised to life as well. We are raised when God speaks. We are raised through faith. Look back at Mark chapter 2, now in verse 5. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise up, 
Take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed, went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. I wonder what this man was thinking when Jesus' first words to him are, Son, your sins are forgiven. Because listen, this man was like, most likely looking for healing. He wanted to have his, his legs back. He wanted to walk. He wanted his disability taken away. He wanted to function. He wanted to feel again. And Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. I can't help but wonder if this man was like, uh, okay, I mean, I'll take it, but that's not exactly what I was looking for. But isn't this how God usually works? We come to God wanting something from God, and he beautifully surprises us with something even better. He knows what we want, but he ultimately knows what we need. And so this man was likely looking for healing from Jesus, and Jesus surprises him with something better. He forgives his sin. You see, a lot of times we can only see the surface issues or our immediate needs or wants around us. But God knows our hearts, and he can look deeper, and he can see what our ultimate need really is. But don't we often come to God wanting to get something out of God? We often come to God to try to get him to help us get our life together. Or we come to God to make ourselves feel good, like, hey, we're good people. Or we come to God to, for him to help us cope with a, a difficult life situation or an obstacle that's in front of us. And what does God do? He says, come. But then he beautifully surprises us with dealing with our biggest need, whether we realized it was there or not. Jesus knew that ultimately the man did not need physical healing, but he needed spiritual healing. He needed his sins forgiven. And humanity's sin was why there is death, disease, and pain to start with. And it was sin that Jesus would take upon himself on the cross and triumph over as he walked out of the tomb. Now, Jesus does, in fact, heal this man, okay? He does heal this man. This guy walks out of there, but Jesus knows his ultimate problem is not his paralysis, but it is his sin. And church, I know as human beings, we have a lot of problems and issues. I know you have a lot of problems and issues that you need to deal with in life. I have a lot of problems and issues I need to deal with in life. We all have problems and issues that we need to deal with in life. But our ultimate problem is sin. And only Jesus has the authority and the ability to deal with sin on our behalf. 
The scribes even testify to this. They say in verse 7, they say, who can forgive sins but God alone? It's too bad Captain Obvious just wasn't in the room, just kind of giving him a weird look, you know, shrugging his shoulders. Come on, right? Exactly. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus forgiving sins was a proclamation that he indeed was God. He was God in the flesh. And God saw the state that we were in. He saw that we were dead in our sin, paralyzed by it. We had lost our ability and desire to go to God. He saw that we stood condemned and guilty because of our disobedience and rebellion against him. But God is a God who is rich in mercy and has a great love for us. And he came to earth to save Jesus, being fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life of obedience we failed to live so that his righteousness could be credited to us. Jesus went to the cross and died a sacrificial death on the cross in our place, paying the penalty for our sin. And three days later, Jesus rose from the dead, defeating Satan's sin and death, and he is now ruling, reigning, and restoring all things. And he's calling a people to himself. And it is completely by grace. God's unmerited favor. There's nothing we can do to deserve or earn our salvation. It is merely and gloriously by the grace of God. And it is received through faith. Through actively trusting that salvation has been accomplished for us in Christ alone. And it is a salvation that produces in us hearts of repentance. Hearts that are becoming more and more like the heart of Jesus, losing a taste for sin and finding our ultimate joy in God. And church, this morning, my prayer is that his words would awaken new life in you. That words like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which say, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. My prayer is that words like that would awaken your heart to life. And that you would strengthen your faith so that we would all be actively trusting in Christ and Christ alone for our salvation. And then, church, my prayer is that we would rest in and know that our sins are forgiven. I know we say this often here. We say this phrase, God saves sinners. And that is a true and beautiful phrase. But I want you to know, church, when we say God saves sinners, we are also saying God forgives sinners. Because I fear, I fear that many of you are trusting Christ for salvation. However, I fear that you are living lives that are paralyzed by the guilt of sin. I fear that many of you in Christ are not experiencing the fullness of joy 
a fullness of joy in the Lord because you do not yet fully live in the reality that your sins are forgiven and so you carry around this guilt and shame with you. And it's paralyzing you. Church, we should not live life paralyzed by guilt and shame. Now, conviction of sin is one thing. If God is convicting you of sin, you need to repent of it. You need to confess it. You need to turn back and trust in Christ. But if we have repented of and confessed sin and turned from it, we no longer need to live in guilt and shame. Guilt and shame rob us of joy. Guilt and shame rob us of sleep at night. Guilt and shame diminish the glory of the cross. Guilt and shame cause us to lessen the value of God's grace. Guilt and shame elevate our authority above Christ because maybe he can forgive us, but we can't forgive ourselves. Church, I've got good news for you this morning. When you trust Christ as your Savior, your sins are forgiven and your guilt and shame are taken away. He has taken your sin upon himself. He took it to the cross. He took it to the tomb and then he left it there. For a second, I want us to do a little exercise. Everyone close your eyes here for a second, okay? And I want you to think about a past sin in your life that you have confessed, that you have repented of, but that you still feel guilty about, that you still feel shame about. Now, if you haven't trusted Christ as your Savior, you are guilty of that sin, and I beg and plead with you to run to Christ this morning. Stay after. Let's talk. Let's pray together. Let's make sure you are in Christ. But for those that are in Christ, with your eyes closed, I want you to hear God's word spoken over you. Isaiah 43:25. I I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Psalm 103. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Mark 2, verse 5, your sins are forgiven. You guys can open up your eyes. Church, he has taken your sin upon himself. He took it to the cross. He took it to the tomb, and he left it there. For those that are in Christ, your sins are forgiven. 
R.C. Sproul, a pastor and a theologian who is now with Jesus, he once shared a story how he was approached by a very successful psychiatrist. And this psychiatrist wanted R.C. to, to join his group, to join his practice. And R.C. Sproul was kind of taken off guard by this. Like, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm a pastor. Why would you want me a part of your psychiatry practice? And this psychiatrist said this, and I quote. He said, R.C., 95% of my clients do not need a psychiatrist. They need a priest because their lives are being destroyed by unresolved guilt. Church, there is only one who can resolve our guilt. And there is only one who can forgive sins. And he has made a way for us to be forgiven, and he has made a way for our guilt and shame to be taken away. Jesus lived, died, and was raised so that those, when they trust Christ, he can say, son, and he can say, daughter, your sins are forgiven. Let me conclude with some short summarizing statements. Church, we are raised because he rose. We are raised to new life when he speaks. We are raised to new life through faith. And we are raised to a life where our sins have been forgiven and our guilt and shame have been taken away. And we will continue to rise because he rose.